0: This Morning, <clears throat> I throw the to clog up so Satan he's trying to okay. say, No, you're not going to do this one today. Oh, you're yeah. going to have trouble doing it, but no, <clears throat> I was fine until you know, anyways. So, our scripture, since it is Palm Sunday, is uh, Matthew chapter 21, and I'll just read verses 1 to 9 to get us started this morning. And we will mention Palm Sunday at least once. <coughs> this morning. Just once, after this, okay. Matthews, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 9. And I'm going to read this one from the... Yeah, the New American Standard Bible this morning. This one. That's echoing back over there. okay. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethage, at the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. And most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That has an exclamation mark after it. Amen. I know this is Palm Sunday, but this is the message the Lord has given me for this morning. I was going, tried to do one on Palm Sunday, but... This is the one, <clears throat> this sore throat thing. Not sore throat, I'm sorry, don't have a sore throat. It's just <laughs> clogged up this morning after I had breakfast and I was reading over the notes and all of a sudden. <clears throat> so what it is, is the devil saying, I'm going to give you trouble on this because the Lord wants it. And that's just the way it is. Okay. On Palm Sunday, we enter Jerusalem with Jesus. On Monday, we feel his anger as he overturns the tables of the money-changers, and then to accuse them of making God's house a den of thieves. On Tuesday, we stand beside him in the temple and marvel as he confounds the religious authorities who try to trap him with difficult questions. On Wednesday, we withdraw with him to the home of Mary and Martha in a little suburb of Bethany. On Thursday evening, we commune with him and his disciples in the upper room. We cross the Kidron Valley to witness his agony in Gethsemane. We follow fearfully as the guards arrest him and march him to the house of the high priest for a farce of a trial. On Friday, we see him led to Pilate, shifted over to Herod, scourged by the soldiers decked in a purple robe and a crown of thorns placed on his head and sentenced to be crucified. We follow the jeering mob in the procession to a skull-shaped hill outside the city wall, and there we see him crucified between two thieves. We see the Roman executioners, their sickening work done sit at the foot of the cross and gamble with dice as they wait for their victims to die. We see the religious authorities rub their hands with sadistic satisfaction. This gets emotional too. It's just one of those things. They rub their hands with sadistic satisfaction as they gloat over the success <clears throat> other murderous plot. We see the mob begin moving away restlessly, as it appears that soon the curtain will fall on this bloody show. We see the little <clears throat> group of friends dissolve into despair as they behold the shattering of all their hopes and dreams. And there, on the center cross, hangs. <clears throat> their lord and master, his life, is hurt. Okay, you started something, by the way. <laughs> there, okay, on the center cross, hangs their lord and master, his lifeblood slowly ebbing away. He cannot last much longer now. The end is very near. This morning, I would like us to look at the last words of Christ as he hung on the cross. And there are seven sayings of Christ on the cross that are recorded in the gospels. And all seven of these sayings have a different theme. And each of these reveal important truths to be applied in our walk and life of faith. And we're going to go through them in order this morning. And I'll be reading these ones from the New King James Version. And the first saying is forgiveness. Luke 23, verses 33 and 34. Luke 23, 33 and 34. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now the name of the place in Aramaic is Golgotha which means skull and Calvary is the Latin name for Golgotha. Verse 34 Then Jesus said, Father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Jesus asks the Father to forgive them. Forgiveness Is choosing to no longer hold something against a person. And Jesus was asking the Father not to hold the execution against his killers, for they do not know what they are doing. Those who put Jesus to death acted in ignorance, not really understanding who it was they were killing. And here we see our Savior in the very depths of human suffering, living out what he taught, to forgive those who treat us wrongly and seek our demise, praying for them that God would show them his grace and forgiveness. Jesus' example of interceding for his executioners, was followed by Stephen in Acts chapter seven, verses 59 and 60, where we read, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And after he said this, he died. As Jesus had done, Stephen requested mercy for his killers. And this prayer of Jesus to forgive his enemies shows us that Jesus practiced what he preached. <coughs> in Luke 6, verse 27 and 28, Jesus says, To you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. And in Matthew 5, verse 46, he says. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If we are followers of Jesus, then we must follow him along the path of forgiving our enemies and those who intend evil against us. The second saying, the word of salvation in Luke 23, verse 43 And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. who did Jesus say this to? A man being crucified with him. Both of the thieves who were crucified with Jesus had earlier on joined the bystanders in mocking him. Mark 15, verse 32, says, Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. And Luke 23, verse 39, tells us, Then one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But a miraculous change occurred in the other criminal. He came, he, he came to believe. He, too, had mocked Jesus earlier, but now he rebuked the other criminal. Luke 23, verses 40 and 41, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, are suffering justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. This criminal knew the difference between those who had sinned and deserved to die and the one, capital O, who did not. So, what does this criminal confess here? We are receiving what we deserve. He knows that he is a sinner. And who did Christ die for? Sinners. And then he said to Jesus in verse 42. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He not only sees his sin, but he sees Jesus as someone who can do something about it. And he trusts him. And to this Jesus responds and said to him in verse 43, Assuredly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus is promising the believing thief that he will be with him in the presence of God. Jesus promised eternal life to the thief, doing what the mocker had asked him to do in verse 39. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. God the Father had Jesus crucified between two criminals to show us at least three things. the first one, the victory of God's sovereign grace to save someone even at the last moments of their life. And second, to demonstrate the foundational truth that salvation is by faith alone. The fact that the thief on the cross who had come to the end of himself was given the gift of salvation on the basis of faith in Jesus proves beyond any doubt that God's gift of salvation is given on the basis of faith and not something earned by works. Amen. And third, here we have the assurance that believers who die actually dwell in the very presence of Jesus himself. And the third saying, the word of caring, John 19, Verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. Mary was most certainly a widow at this point in her life. And though she had four other sons, Jesus chose the disciple whom he loved to provide care for her after his death. We won't get into this morning, this disciple whom Jesus loved, because we know one is John, but he doesn't say it's John, and this is John writing. And the other, there was another disciple, if you remember. And we're all disciples, by the way, when you uh, follow Jesus. is Lazarus. When he was sick and dying, and remember they sent for Jesus? And he said, "There's the Lazarus whom you love. It's the other one. Mm-hmm. So. Amen. We don't know for sure which one it is. But anyways, it's a disciple that Jesus loved. So he chose this other disciple to care for his mother after his death. So why did he do this? Well, for one thing, Jesus' brothers did not become believers until after his death and resurrection. John chapter seven, verse five says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. They did not believe that he was the Christ. And in Mark three, verse 30, 21, they thought, that he had lost his senses. They thought he was crazy for the things he was doing. They didn't believe until after the resurrection. But in this third saying, we see Jesus fulfilling the commandment to honor his parents. And he did so at the height of human pain and suffering. And he therefore sets forth the primary example of obeying this commandment. this saying also demonstrates that god considers caring for the physical needs of others as having a high priority and the fourth saying the word of anguish matthew chapter 27 verse 46 and about the ninth hour jesus cried out with a loud voice saying eli eli lameth sabachthani and that is my god my god Why have you forsaken me? And here we see Jesus bearing the sins of his people upon himself Mm -hmm. and paying the price of the Father's utter holiness. Mm -hmm. During his entire existence from eternity past, Jesus had an intimate relationship with God as his Father. But now... Because he had taken our place on the cross and had borne in his body the sin of all mankind, the father too holy to look upon sin had turned his face away from his only beloved son, incarnate son. And in this verse we see and hear the mystery of the incarnation. For Jesus fully remained God, while at the same time, fully human. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. <clears throat> and also in this fourth saying, We see and hear the awfulness of sin and the reality of its wages, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. These words of anguish in this fourth saying tells us that it was impossible for the Father's holiness to be satisfied in any other way. Only the death of an infinite man, capital M, a perfect man could pay for the sins of all his people. And also in this fourth saying, we see the absolute faithfulness of our Savior to do what only he could do, even though it meant being forsaken by the Father as he hung on the cross. If God did not hesitate to punish his own son with such severity. What kind of punishment do you and I deserve? Just something to think about. The fifth saying, the word of suffering, John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst, I am thirsty. And we see in this saying evidence of the reality of his humanity thirst is a human experience jesus had given many evidences of his humanity throughout his life and while on the cross jesus was certainly physically thirsty and dehydrated however in the spiritual sense jesus greatest thirst his greatest desire is for us to be saved. Jesus completes the work he began to satisfy our longings for life beyond death, to quench souls thirsting for living water. The verb thirst or be thirsty is found five other times in the Gospel of John. And all three of them are in context referring to spiritual thirst. And three of these usages occur in John 4, verses 13 to 15, in the course of Jesus' discussion with the woman at the well. And Jesus offers himself to her as the one who can give her living water to drink. And he says that whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst, shall never be thirsty. And in John 7, verse 37 and 38, Jesus declared, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John helps us understand what Jesus meant by adding in the next verse 39, but this Jesus spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now putting all this evidence together, we can see that this thirst that Jesus was speaking about is a spiritual craving for God a longing that operates deep within the heart of every human being, a thirst that Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy for all eternity. This universal spiritual thirst can be quenched and satisfied only by the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised to give to all who believe in him and who will give to the believer eternal life. And it is this kind of thirst, this spiritual thirst, that Jesus experienced on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was the supreme fulfillment of Psalm 63, verse one. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. there is no water in verse 29 of this fifth saying scripture is being fulfilled verse 29 now a vessel full of sour wine that is vinegar was sitting there and they filled a sponge put it on a hyssop branch and put it in his mouth in psalm 69 verse 21 says they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst They gave me vinegar to drink. The sixth saying, the word of victory. John 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Having fulfilled every command of the Father and every prophecy of scripture, Jesus voluntarily died. This was not a cry of exhaustion, but of completion. Jesus had done what he agreed to do. The seventh and final saying, Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, He breathed his last. Jesus' final words are from Psalm 31, verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. As the psalmist prophesied, so Jesus proclaims this truth. Having faithfully obeyed the will of the Father, And having entrusted himself to the one with whom he is in perfect union, he entrusts himself to the will of the Father as the incarnate Son of God. And how wonderful it is that his Father is our Father. For God is our Father because of Jesus. God is our Father. So he loves us. He loves us as he loves Jesus himself. That's something? Amen. You'll find that in John 17, verse 23 in the Lord's Prayer. That's how much he loves us. Amen. And here we see the place of eternal security. For if we have committed ourselves to the Father through faith in Jesus, then it is certain that he secures us to himself forever. No question. Period. Oh, no, still more to come. <laughs> Just a little humor. Doesn't hurt. Lord loves humor, too. To sum up, then, the Christian life is demanding. Sometimes it is grueling. And sometimes it is agonizing, and it requires our utmost in self-discipline, determination, and perseverance. There is always a temptation to give up when things get difficult. And what we need is endurance. It means continuing, even when everything inside you wants to quit. And how do we do this? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. We are always to be looking unto Jesus. Jesus lived his life in total, total dependence upon the Father. And his whole life was characterized by unbroken and unquestioning faith in his Father, and never more so than at the cross. So as we run this race of life, we are to be continually looking to Jesus as our example and our strength. When you want to quit, consider him meaning to consider by way of comparison. Nothing is more natural for a person than to overestimate the severity of his or her trials. Compare your suffering for his sake with his suffering for you. Look at all that he went through for you and be encouraged in what you are going through. Just one final thought for this week. I was going to suggest, would you like homework, right? (laughs) I don't think so. Something to discuss and something to think about, meditate on. I would ask you that you would read and meditate on Psalms 22 and Psalm 69. Psalm 22 is a profound lament a sorrowful psalm written by King David that concludes as a triumphant psalm of praise for God's deliverance. And although this psalm speaks of David's own distress and the Lord's deliverance of him, prompted by the Holy Spirit, it, is also, it also prophetically describes in remarkable detail Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection approximately a thousand years before it describes precisely the experiences of our Savior Jesus, both his excruciating death and his victorious resurrection. And also Psalm 69 predicts the emotional and spiritual suffering of Jesus. And whereas Psalm 22 describes Jesus' physical sufferings, Psalm 69 focuses more on his Emotional and spiritual suffering. And yet, like Psalm 22, this psalm was written by David approximately a thousand years before the events that it describes. So for homework, just ask you to see if you can find the seven sayings of Jesus in Psalm 22. Just see if there's seven in there. And it's rather obvious the first one. You'll see it when you get to it. First 1, deceiving point, seven. Should I tell you that I found seven? <laughs> the no, that's, that's not fair. And I didn't say I did. I just said everybody tells you. What was the last one? Uh, Ross again? Pardon? What was the last one? Psalm 22? No, no, it says seven points, the last one. Seventh, the seventh. Word. Word. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Was that seven? That was number seven. seven. Yes. Seven? Yeah. I see what you mean. Okay, I was talking seven. Seven, seven is a perfect number, and I'm not perfect. <laughs> so, we'll just see if you can find seven. It's a little challenge there. Something for you, you know, you say you like to discuss things. Let's discuss things. Amen. Okay. Thank you. So, shall we pray then? Our Heavenly Father, we just <clears throat> praise you and thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for what we learned here this morning. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, lived as a human as we are, walked through this life, faced all the joys and sorrows of life, and yet remained true to you. Father, what a a wonderful, wonderful thing that he became human and dwelt among us. We saw him, man. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that he was willing to go to the cross and die for us, for our sins, for all the sins. And all we have to do is come to him in faith and confess our sins and come to him. And also, Lord, we thank you that on Easter Sunday morning he rose from the dead and is now at your right hand providing intercession for us that it is through his shed blood that we can come boldly into your presence here this morning. And he provides intercession for us. And he says to the Father, see these nail-pierced hands. See these nail-pierced feet. I died for this person. I died for the one who has accepted me into their heart and life as Lord and Savior. What a wonderful thing to have Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. He's also sitting at his right hand, too. But thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. And thank you for will, being willing to come here, leave all the riches and glory from all eternity you are with God the Father and willing to come as a human, in, God incarnate into the world. Just thank you for that. And when things get rough and tough for us, may we always look forward and look towards Jesus Christ. For encouragement in our daily lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.